Good morning, friends. This is Jess from The Keto Fit, and today we're gonna to be talking about how to heal burnout. So let me paint a little picture for you. Let me know if this resonates. So from the outside, your life looks pretty perfect. It looks like you have it all. You've got the marriage, you've got the 2.5 kids, you've got the house, you've got the job. Seemingly you have it all, but on the inside, you feel pretty desperate, you feel pretty miserable, you feel stressed out, and you just collapse at the end of every day, self-soothing, numbing out, dreading the next day, trying to do it again. Maybe you're burnt out. And if this is resonating with you and you want to learn a little bit more about how to tell if you're burnt out, and actually what to do about it and how to heal from it. I'm so excited because I have a very special guest on today and her name is Kristen Hodnett and she is a burnout recovery coach. So in just a minute, she's going to be joining in on the live and uh, teaching us a little bit more about what we can do if we're struggling with burnout. And um, she has some really interesting practices that are maybe some things that you've never tried before. So Kristen is not only a burnout recovery coach, but she's also a Reiki master. She's gonna tell us about what that is. And she is um, a holistic coach and a wellness guide. And she's got some really great free resources that she's gonna share with us today. She's joining us here in just a minute. Hey, Kristen, go ahead and hit that request to join button and I'll bring you right in. So as you guys are watching the live today, if you have any specific questions about burnout, make sure that you put them in the feed and I will make sure to ask Kristen as we are going through with the interview. Okay, just let you in. Hey! Hi, Kristen. Hello, hello. Hi, <laughs> Jess. How are you? It is so good to see you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so I was just giving you um, a very brief introduction, but one thing that I didn't mention yet is that one of the reasons why it's so good for me to see Kristen is that she is a former client of mine. So um, in addition to talking about burnout, I'm going to be asking her a little bit about her experience with me coaching so that you guys can get a little bit of insight into that. So Kristen, I've introduced you as a burnout recovery coach, as a Reiki master, as somebody that... Um, really, you know, a little bit about your story is that you seemingly had it all. You had the perfect life, but you were hustling and you were so stressed out and you reached a rock bottom and actually healed your life and designed a life that you feel like you actually are in love with it now. Um, would you yes. tell us a little bit more about your story? So um, how did you know that you were burnt out? How did you <laughs> recover? And what made you decide to become a coach? Well, you've, you've told a good part of the story. I guess I can get into a little bit more of the detail of it, how I knew I was burnout. Um, when I was working in corporate and having these feelings of overwhelm and just numb and detachment, burnout wasn't quite the hype word that it is now. So I didn't know to pinpoint that, oh, this is something that is serious. I thought, I hate my job. I thought I'm not in the right job. I thought I just needed to change careers, needed to look for something different. And I started reading more and more research about burnout. And I found that I was checking all of the boxes. And 
I made a decision that I was going to leave my corporate job that I had been at for 10 years, um, which was my dream. It was my second job out of college. I wanted to go into the finance industry. It's very high demand. It's Mm -hmm. very high pressure. My job was very high pressure. And towards the end of my 10 years there, I just found myself Maybe other people can relate to this. I find myself crying in the car on my lunch break, trying to pull myself together. I just didn't have the energy for the simplest tasks. I didn't have the brain capacity for it. Mm -hmm. And I gave my two weeks notice. And on the Friday, that was my last day at my job. I ended up in the ER with heart problems. And no family history of heart problems, no individual history of heart problems. And the only thing they could chalk it up to was stress. And I knew at that point, laying in that hospital bed, that I had made the right decision. And then it was time for me to take back control of my life and to start to find my values and my priorities and to make my health number one. Wow. Yeah. So I'm sure so many people can resonate with what you're saying. Um, But there's a reason that we stay, right? So you clearly must have been having these feelings, you know, you're crying in in the car. But even before that, there were probably some, some real signs and signals to you like this is out of alignment. But I'm staying because fill in the blank. So like, what were some of the stories that you were telling yourself about why you should stay why you couldn't change? Well, it had been my dream. And to be honest, I think when we talk about healing burnout, I think one of my most important keys to that is living in authentic alignment Mm -hmm. and being in a job where I wasn't in authentic alignment. Like you said, it gradually ate away at me every day. Every day I realized this isn't what I want to be doing. This isn't where my skills are best used. And it just, it got to the point where it became more uncomfortable to stay than Mm -hmm. to go. And I think that's when most of us make changes. We can stay in our comfort zone until it's not that comfortable anymore. And that's the point that I got to where it just, it was more uncomfortable to stay than to test and see what was out there. And I'm very fortunate that I have a supportive husband and he was able to help me and we were able to budget and finance so that I could take that time off to take care of myself. So I'm very blessed and grateful for that. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I heard you say a couple of times was like, well, this was my dream. And so I bet a lot of people can resonate with that because we finally get to the place where we have everything that we thought we wanted Mm -hmm. and it is not what we hoped it would be. It's, we don't feel the way that we hoped we would feel. In fact, we feel miserable. And so, but it's very difficult to admit to ourselves. Um, you know, I changed my mind. I actually don't want this anymore because we feel like maybe there are other people watching us who would say that we're crazy. Like, were you afraid of what people would think? Oh, I was, I was terrified. I had family members that said to me point blank, what are you thinking? You have Mm -hmm. a great job that people would just kill to get their hands on. You have great benefits. You know, you've risen up in the company. This is what you've wanted. And I said, this is what I thought I wanted, but it's not what I want anymore. And it, somebody told me something and it's it's kind of cliche. So I'm sure a lot of people have heard it, but I had a picture in my mind of what I wanted my life to be. Mm -hmm. And I had gotten to the point where I had achieved what I thought that picture was. And like you said, I was still feeling miserable. I still wasn't feeling fulfilled. And I realized I had two choices. I could change the picture in my head to match what I really wanted with my life. 
or I could commit double down and be miserable and make my life match that picture in my head. And that's really the two choices that we're faced with is that's where the biggest disconnect comes in from all of us. We have these ideas in our head of what our life is going to look like, what we should be doing, what others want us to be doing, the pressure that we put on ourselves to be perfect and everything we do. And it's just, you have to make up your mind that this, this is what I thought I wanted and I'm willing to walk away from it and say it's not because it's not doing what I wanted it to do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure too, like this is, this is so good. This is so juicy because when you're talking about this, I see so many overlaps here with like a weight loss journey as well. Like how many of us have actually, you know, seen that number on the scale that we were chasing for so long and it is unfulfilling. Like you actually don't feel how you thought you were going to feel. You still feel pretty miserable because you were miserable getting there the whole time. Like it was actually like (laughs) self-punishment, self-restriction, just telling yourself, I have to get here. I have to get here hustling, you know, to do it and taking all sorts of extreme measures um, to do it. And so I love what you said. Like you have two choices at that point. Like, okay, you could either change your vision of what you wanted this to be. Um, That might change, you know, like maybe I don't need this number on the scale. Maybe this isn't actually maintainable. Maybe I could be happy at five or 10 pounds heavier or whatever it might be, but like adjusting our expectations. So did you feel, um, because basically you're saying like, I could, I got to this point where I realized I could change my situation. Like I could change the the circumstances here. But a lot of times I think we go through this uh, point where we're like, well, the problem's not with the circumstances, the problem's with me. Like I can't hack this, (laughs) right? Like I need to just be stronger or I need to just like suck it up or whatever it might be. Did you feel like the problem was you, like you're weak, you, you can't hack it. Like, and how did you get through that? Certainly for a good period of time before I left my job, I thought you need to be stronger. You need to be tougher. I was in a very male dominated industry. So I was, you've got to shove your feelings down. You've just got to put your, your foot to the pedal and you've got to keep going. Like, this is what you were raised for. This is what you were made to do. Like, you've got to step up. And there comes to a point when, what are you stepping up for? What is it bringing you? What is this constant hustle and grind bringing you, but exhaustion, overwhelm, depression, sadness, disconnection from your life. And that's when, that's when you have to decide. It's really so much about stepping into yourself and stepping away from the external world. Yeah. And that's how you let that pressure go. It's so true because nobody else has to live inside your head except for you, right? And so from the outside, everybody's like, you're crazy. That's a great life. I would kill to have that life. But, you know, but it's, it's just not true. That's not your experience. And so your experience is literally your life. And if if you don't prioritize you, nobody else is going to do it. Nobody else is going to come in and rescue you. Amen. Amen. That is so true. That is one of the big things that I talk about when I talk about healing burnout is prioritizing yourself. Yeah, it's, it's so against what most of us were taught to do. We're Mm -hmm. taught that it's selfish Mm -hmm. to prioritize ourselves. We're taught women, especially that we need to take care of everybody else before we take care of ourselves. But we've all heard this. You can't give from an empty cup. Yeah, you have to put yourself first. If you want to be of any service to your family, your friends, your clients, whoever it is that you love and care about in this world, you have to fill yourself up first, or you're going to be giving from an empty cup 
you're going to be resentful, you're going to be, you know, everything you do is going to be done begrudgingly, you're going to be exhausted, and you're going to start to fall apart. Right? Yeah. So yeah, some people might be even listening to this right now and, and be thinking, well, who cares if I'm miserable, if everybody else is happy, like I'm checking all the boxes, it's fine. But like, <laughs> tell us, like, looking back, were your relationships actually suffering? Like what other areas of your life were suffering when you were burnt out and not showing up as the best version of yourself? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had a great relationship with my husband, but it's 10 times better now that I am in a much better place myself. I'm able to give much more to him and receive much more as well. And that makes a big difference. Um, you know, my friendships, it was very superficial friendships of, oh, let's go out and have a couple drinks after work, that kind of thing. It wasn't having long conversations. It wasn't really expressing feelings and sharing things. They were just very, you know, very superficial. Like I said, mm -hmm. um, my relationship with myself was probably the worst one of all mm -hmm. talking of weight loss. I hated my body. Um, the stress at work had caused me to gain probably over 50 pounds mm -hmm. in a very short period of time. So I just, I was not in love with my body anymore and I beat myself up. And that was just another part of the, like you said, I should be doing this. I should be better than this. I should be able to work and take care of my body. But when you're that burnout and you're that exhausted, it impacts every aspect of your life. It, I was too tired to cook when I came home, which mm -hmm. didn't help with the weight gain. Yeah. I was too tired to go out with friends and family. I wasn't getting the joy out of it that I used to. So it really does touch every aspect of your life. Are we meant to be happy all the time? No, of course mm -hmm. not. We're all going to have our rough moments, but you have to prioritize happiness in your own life. I believe that's what we're here for. We're not here to work it used to be nine to five. Now I feel it's like seven to eight or something yeah. even worse, but we're not meant to just sit behind a desk and work, pay bills, go home, sleep and repeat. We're here to be happy and to be loved and to give love. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I bet you we've hooked enough people in here. Thank you guys for all <laughs> listening and tuning in. You're probably like, uh, yeah, that's me. What the hell do I do about this? <laughs> so Kristen, <laughs> Kristen took a really extreme measure and, and, you know, I love also that you, you know, just kind of honestly uh, share that it was from a place of privilege, like you actually had the ability, yeah. you're, you had a supportive husband, you had somebody else who could um, help you financially to actually take such an extreme measure of just quitting your job. You know, we probably all have those fantasies where we're like, I'm just gonna storm <laughs> into the office and throw down my two weeks or whatever, like you got to do that. But I know that there were also so many other things that you did as part of your healing journey. So if you guys are tuning in right now thinking like, well, I can't quit my job. So I guess it's hopeless. Like share with us some other things that we can do to help <laughs> recover from burnout. Well, the first thing I would recommend is not just quitting your job. <laughs> you don't have to burn everything down. I, I did it in that way because my health became such a crushing priority for me that I, need, I knew needed my full attention that I decided I was going to take a year or two off and spend that time with my health, trying to lose the weight, trying to get, I have some chronic illnesses, so trying to get those under control. But there's little things you can do other than, other than quitting your job, burning it all to the ground. Um, yeah. There's, I know you mentioned in your stories, we talked about breath work. We talked about tapping. I like to do mm -hmm. things called movement medicine, but those are all more advanced techniques. 
-hmm. I think to start with, it sounds really corny, but it starts with all the selves, the self-love, the self-compassion, the Mm self-worth, the self-care. Those are where I really had to start with because I had to learn to love myself enough to know that I was worth putting this work into and making these changes and that I was worth being happy. I had to learn self-compassion the way I would treat other people to forgive myself, to get rid of that perfectionism mentality and forgive myself my mistakes and learn to love myself even within exactly as I was, which ties into your self-worth. Setting boundaries is a huge piece of healing from burnout because that's Mm -hmm. usually one of the first things that we look at is where are your boundaries? Where are you setting them? And you have to believe that you're worth setting boundaries and you're worth it and that other people aren't going to walk away and that you're not going to walk away. And then self-care, obviously, you know, all about self-care. Love it. We have to, we, yeah, yeah. I mean, what's not to love about it. It's, it's time to take care of ourselves. It's, I look at it as sacred time instead of another to-do list. I look at it as something that's sacred that I get to do for myself, whether it be a bubble bath, whether it be a nice glass of tea out on the porch, you know, whatever it is, it can be something huge. It can be something little. I think Mm -hmm. people tend to think of self-care and they think of, oh, going to get a massage or going to get a facial, but it's so much more than that. And the more you can fill your cup, the more of the self-love, the self-worth, the self-compassion will start to come up and it all just ties together. And it brings you to this really beautiful place where you learn what's important to you. You learn what your values are. You learn the life that you want to be living and you get enough courage to take the step and say, I'm going to do it. And that's the start to healing burnout. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, for people that are tuning in thinking like, ah, self-care, I don't want to, I don't want to take a bubble bath. I don't want to, you know, but that's just not my style. Like the most fundamental form of self-care that I promote is what you eat. Um, you know, and so for me, like my most basic self-care that I commit to every single day is eat, sleep and movement. And that just means I take a walk every day, you know, like some days it's longer than others, but getting yourself out in the sunshine and moving your body in whatever small way you can do eating foods that are actually have nutrition, not just a bunch of processed crap. That's going to make you feel awful and ride the blood sugar roller coaster, getting enough sleep every day. Like these are self-care, you know, like, and if you're not doing these, the bubble bath is not going to, it's going to last 30 minutes and then you're going to (laughs) feel like crud or whatever. Like those are the fundamental things that we really have to um, start to take care of. So for anybody listening that just feels like, Oh, those things sound a little bit unattainable or I don't know uh, how to do breath work or meditate or, you know, do I have to have crystals and all these things to practice self-care? Like, no, (laughs) just start with, you know, the same way that you would take care of a baby that you just brought home from the hospital, you know, make sure they're fed, they're getting enough sleep. And, you know, I would say movement, move your body, like make sure like play, like all of the the basic things that you would do with a baby, like start there, you know, that's, that's self-care. So I love that you say play. I love that you say play instead of fitness or exercise and talk Mm -hmm. about movement because I hate telling people self-care is exercise because I feel like when I've been at my lowest and I've been struggling, the last thing I've needed is somebody to tell me, oh, you need to exercise and you need to eat right. And I'm like, I can barely get out of bed. (laughs) Exercising is not top on my list, but movement we can look at with such a more gentle perspective. Like you said, it doesn't have to be an intense fitness routine. It can be a nice walk around the neighborhood. It can be 
my husband and I love to do partner stretches in the morning just to get up and get going for the day. You know, it Mm -hmm. can be something so, so simple. It doesn't have to be a 30 minute routine. In my morning routine guide, I actually talk about some workouts that are seven minutes and will give you a full body workout. So everybody that says they don't have seven minutes, you can find it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about the morning routine too. So like, I know you're big on that. So how does the morning routine actually help with burnout? And what type of things should we be including? The morning routine, and I hate to call it that because I know when people hear morning routine and I was the same way, I thought, oh no, here's some influencer that's going to give me a two hour morning routine that I don't have time for. The difference behind my morning start, I like to call it my sacred morning time, is that it's not another checklist of to-do items that you have feel pressured to add to your day. The intention behind it is completely different. It's simply to take, with my book, I talk about doing it in 30 minutes. So it's simply taking 30 minutes out of your morning and making that sacred time for yourself. And it's including things that you would normally be doing anyways. I talk about hydration. Mm -hmm. I talk about movement. I talk about meditation. So it's very basic things. And Really, you could do these things at any time of the day. If you absolutely can't fit it into your morning, mm-hmm. fit it into your afternoon or your evening. Yeah. But for me, the power is in the morning because I also include a worksheet that you can do, use to intentionally plan your day. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is the secret sauce. It's taking that time in the morning when my brain is refreshed from meditation, when I'm hydrated, when I've first woken up and gotten that nice big drink of whatever I'm having that morning to sit down at my worksheet and know that these are my goals and these are my gratitudes. And I'm basically spending five minutes, if that walking through the template, filling out my day and my day starts from such a more intentional space. And that again, brings you back to living in authentic alignment, the cure for burnout. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, I I like that you mentioned too, like if you're not a morning person or you just don't have the time in the morning, like it's okay to do it at another time of day. I'm very much a morning person. um, And so I do have a morning routine, but when I was a new mom, I did my morning routine in the afternoon during nap time, you know, because (laughs) I just couldn't do it first thing in the morning. It was, it was a little too nuts. Yeah. Yeah. And I couldn't do it at night because I was freaking white, you know? Um, But I, I do work with clients too, who, you know, their nighttime is when they feel most alive, you know, that's when they feel feel most motivated. And so I love that you're saying it's just about having intention for planning your day. So if you're a nighttime person, you could just have intention of planning your day starting the next morning, like, but you're going to sleep with intention of knowing, well, tomorrow morning, this is what my day is going to look like. And I'm going to be intentional. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think that the morning routine is a really good example of boundaries, too. Because you're saying like, this is my time it's set aside, like, I'm going to take this time for myself where I'm not available to other people. And even if that means you have to wake up a little bit earlier for that to happen, if you have to wake up before your kids, or if you have to have a conversation with your spouse or whoever you live with, and just say like, when I'm sitting on the couch by the window, please don't interrupt (laughs) me. That's my morning time. You know, like, (laughs) we joke around until you see me have two cups of coffee. Don't speak to me. Coffee can be self-care too. (laughs) Absolutely. It can as my self-care. It's just a good lesson in, you know, setting a boundary of like having a time when you're unavailable to anyone except for yourself. It is. And it's crazy to think that sometimes the hardest boundaries we have to set are the ones we have to set with ourselves and not with other people. For sure. For sure. And I, I love that you mentioned earlier too, like regarding the boundaries, if we could dip into this a little bit. 
Um, yeah. Like the fear that we have around setting boundaries. You said something very profound, which is that we're afraid that we're going to lose people. And, you know, going ahead and actually setting that boundary and proving to yourself that you're not going to lose that person. Um, Have you ever lost anybody, though, when you've set a boundary? I have not. And I'm very fortunate for that because I am one of the people that when they first start setting boundaries, they tend to go really heavy and hard at them because that's what it feels like you need to make it stick. And luckily, I've been able... I've always been able to communicate with those that are close to me. I'm very blessed with that. So in setting my boundaries, it was a lot of conversations of this is why I'm setting this boundary. This is why it's important for me. This is how it's going to make our relationship better. This is how it's going to benefit both of us. And then trying to learn to be gracious with that, knowing that people, you are going to have people that are going to purposefully try to overstep that boundary to see what kind of resistance and what kind of pushback they get. Mm -hmm. And you have to be prepared to, to push back in a Mm -hmm. kind and gracious way. And there are going to be people that overstep it accidentally because it's just what they're used to. And in the same, you just have to be gracious and remind them that, you know, this is my new boundary. And I think that when you do it with the best of intentions and with explaining yourself and why you need it and how it helps them, I think it gives people an easier time to buy in and really, truly the people that love you want to support you and want to be there for you. They want to hold up your boundaries. So the people that are really meant to be in your life are not going to walk away. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you're, what you're saying there with the examples of like, you know, be gracious if people accidentally overstep or even if they do it intentionally, like it's not anybody else's responsibility to uphold your boundary. It's your responsibility to uphold your boundary. And that's where it gets difficult because a lot of times we'll have the initial conversation with people and, Mm -hmm. you know, we'll do our good job at communicating. We'll feel so good about it. But then the first time that they violate our boundary, we're just like, Oh, why do they not get it? Oh, you know, and just like blame it on them and just kind of take it on and be like, well, what am I supposed to do now? They're not respecting my boundaries. Well, you, you, you have to be the one that holds the line and, you know, exits the conversation or, you know, brings it up again, however many times you need to bring it up. And if it gets to the point where you feel like you want to cut off the relationship, that's up to you. But it can actually be, I think, I think that the follow-up to setting a boundary is actually harder than setting a boundary. It's the follow-up conversation. Oh yeah. Yeah. The (laughs) follow-up conversations are definitely the hardest because you do never know if somebody's doing it intentionally. Most of the time, you don't know if they're doing it intentionally. You don't know if they're doing it accidentally. And like I said, we tend to, when we start setting boundaries, we tend to be very harsh. So that's why I think it's so important to keep that, keep that graciousness in mind and really, really give people a chance to support your boundaries before you cut them completely. Yeah, it's true because people are so stuck in their habits. You know, for example, you know, if you have somebody in your life and, and there's just a topic that you really don't want to talk about with this person, like you don't want to talk about your ex or you don't want to talk about um, their ex or you don't want to talk about, you know, whatever it might be. Or, you know, if there's, if there's a hot button thing and you want to set a boundary with that, well, they're probably going to bring it up again because they've been so used to talking to you about that all the time. And you'll have to remind them like, um, you know, I just wanted to remind you that I don't want to speak on this topic. Let's talk about yada yada and, you know, redirect, but it's very hard because, and I've been there too, but like, 
you know, you don't know if they're doing it on purpose or, um, right. on, I suppose, on accident or unintentionally. And so a lot of times we'll just get so stuck in our heads because we'll start telling ourselves the story of this person doesn't respect me. And we'll be like outraged and we're just like stuck in our own anger and so on and so forth. Yeah. But I like that you mentioned, try to be, give the most generous, um, generous yeah. explanation possible, at least to start out with. Yeah, I, I think it makes it so much easier for people to understand because really, I think the biggest block when we try to communicate things like this to people is that as much as we're trying not to take it personally, they're taking it personally. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're in our heads going, oh, am I going to be a horrible person for setting this boundary? Are they going to ever speak to me again? Is this going to ruin our relationship? Are they going to be mad at me? you know, we don't know what's going on on the other side of that. Are they sitting there going, oh my God, have I made this person feel terrible? What have I done? Have I, you know, we don't know what their response is. So it's just that open communication is always going to be the key. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so challenging. And even the fact that we're talking about this, I'm sure people are listening and they're like, oh, this doesn't sound better than just people pleasing all the time. Now I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to shift from being resentful all the time to being insecure all the time. Like, are people mad at me? You know, like at least when I'm pleasing everyone, I know nobody's mad at me, you know, but like now you're telling me people are going to be upset with me. Like, but what are the, what are the benefits that you experienced from setting boundaries? So the best way I love this story to describe the benefits of setting boundaries. I had a day where I had to set some boundaries around work and the hours that I was working and what I was putting into my, my office. And I did a breath work session afterwards and I met back up with my husband and I was just in an otherworldly mood. I was twirling and happy. And he looked at me and he said, you look like you do the, in the pictures I've seen of you when you were little, you're so happy and you're taking up so much more space and you feel so free. And that was just to see that in myself and have other people's record, other people recognize that in me was really special to me. And that's the gift that you get. You love yourself. And that's Mm -hmm. so much more important. You have your self-worth and that's so much more important. People are not always going to be mad at you. You're not always going to be insecure you're going to have those moments and they're going to pass because you're equipped to handle them. That is such a beautiful um, story. And (laughs) I've actually had a lot of clients share with me these compliments that they start to get from the people closest to them. They'll say there's something different about you. There's something lighter about you. You seem happy again. Or even, you know, my favorite is when a client shares with me like, I, you know, I feel like myself again. I feel like I lost myself, but I feel like myself again. Um, and, you know, yes, I, I work with women, you know, on weight loss, but right, the weight loss is a self-care journey. And so it's the Absolutely. time and the energy that they're putting into themselves, making themselves a priority again for the first time. And yeah, you are starting to feel better about yourself because you're investing in yourself. So our feelings Absolutely. follow our actions. A lot of times we think we have to feel love for ourselves or appreciation for ourselves before we can start treating ourselves in that way. But actually, oftentimes it's the opposite. It's that we finally feel like we care about ourselves again when we have practiced caring actions towards ourselves. And so now you're feeling like yourself again. I love it when they sit, I looked in the mirror and, and thought to myself, where have you been? There you are. You know, like I I haven't seen you in a long time, but I finally you know, feel like myself again, I feel true to myself and authentic. And I know that this is something that you talk about a lot. So like, alignment, inner peace, authenticity, these sound like such 
ethereal, you know, words, <laughs> right? And, right. And, and people might be thinking, well, wouldn't that be nice? Um, so tell us a little bit about your journey with that. So you started setting boundaries, you started practicing um, better self care. Um, tell us more about what does it feel like to be aligned, authentic, have inner peace? Like, why is this important? And, and, you know, why should we actually be going after that instead of people pleasing and all of the external approval and things like that? Well, you know, we talked about getting a good night's sleep and how that's important. And I've never slept better. Um, that's one huge, huge difference I've found in myself since I've started living in authentic alignment. I used to be an insomniac. I would be up all hours of the night and that made it very hard to take care of myself because I was exhausted the next day. Um, you know, the other, the benefits, the ben there's so many benefits. I just don't even know where to begin with them, but I feel like you said, you feel this inner peace, which is very hard to describe. And it sounds very out there and esoteric. But the main thing is, is that your decisions become easier because you know what your values are. And when you know when your values are, it's so easy to sit there with any question and say, okay, this is the situation I'm dealing with. This is the decision I need to make. These are my values. Okay. Well, looking at that, it's very easy for me to make a decision. That's part of being in authentic alignment. Mm -hmm. Setting boundaries, a big part of setting boundaries is just saying no and learning that no is a complete sentence mm -hmm. and it's a perfectly acceptable complete sentence to use and it's all that needs to be said. And when you can get out of that people-pleasing mode, you can accept the things that really light you up and really help those people and you can take the other things that are just for you and you can just say no thank you it's not for me right now mm -hmm. and it can be very simple and it can be very gracious but it gives you so much freedom in your life to pursue what you want to pursue and you feel so good when you know that you're living aligned with your values and you're not pretending to be somebody else which is when we're people pleasing you know we're pretending to be whatever that person needs us to be at the time and mm -hmm living your life, putting on a show all the time is no fun. It's draining. And it's what leads you to overwhelm. And mm -hmm. overwhelm is definitely not fun. And burnout is even worse. So mm -hmm. those are some of the key benefits I see from working to heal and even manage burnout. Yeah, yeah. So thank you. I'm, I mean, I'm really hearing you say like you, you get you get your life back. Like most of you us do. are, we're living our lives, surrendering them to everybody else's yes. agenda. And then we're so angry and resentful and frustrated that the little bit of time that we do get for just us, we spend it just numbing out, you know, drinking, drinking exactly. the wine or watching the Netflix or emotional eating or whatever it is. And we yeah. really don't actually truly have our lives. We are, you know, just kind of participating in somebody else's plan for our life, whatever, whoever they are, yeah. but like people will always have demands of you and you can sit there and just be so accommodating and be so people pleasing. And that's what most of us are doing all the time, but we're miserable and it takes a real toll. Um, I, I'm thinking of, and I, I tend to mention this a lot that, uh, you know, people that are regulars are tuning in, but there's this fantastic book written by Bronnie Ware, um, she was a hospice nurse and she wrote a very famous oh, book wow. now called the top five regrets of the dying. And she would okay. sit with people on their deathbeds and listen to them and they would share these regrets. And so she said, most of the people had very similar regrets. The number one regret was 
I wish that I lived a life true to myself, not the one that other people expected of me. And, you know, another top one is I wish I let myself be happier. Like, I love that people that she says, I wish I let myself be happier. Like, I wish I spent more time with the people that I really cared about. Like, you guys, if you're listening right now, just go Google that you don't have to buy the book and just Google like, what are the top, <laughs> what are the top five regrets of the dying and the BuzzFeed article will, will come up or whatever. But, you know, it, it's serious, because you could go your entire life. And, you know, just keep surrendering it to somebody else's agenda. Um, but you have the opportunity right here, right now, if you're listening, it's no coincidence that you're listening to this right now. And if you're right. feeling a pull, you could change your life today. And it doesn't have to mean quitting your job. It could just mean something small, like starting a morning routine and building from there. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So I want to ask you about some of these more, um, you know, woo-woo things because, and I've never actually okay. talked about this on, on IGTV or on the podcast yet, but okay. I, I want to share more about it because I think that people are probably pretty curious about it. It's something that I was curious about for a long time, but I was also super nervous and super scared of it. I was like, what the, what the heck is this? Now, the reason why I, I was scared and maybe people that are listening are like, yeah, I can see that because I was brought up in like a very conservative, religious, um, very like fundamentalist, religious, kind of oppressive um, background. And so that's my experience. I'm not saying that this is what everybody's experience was who grew up in this type of thing. So if that doesn't resonate, please, you know, I'm not speaking from judgment, judgment here. But as a result of what I was taught as a child, I felt a ton of fear surrounding any kind of spiritual experience that might be outside of the realm of, you know, read your Bible, pray, go to church. And so, but I was always a little bit curious about it, right? And so you're a Reiki master. Can you tell us what the heck is Reiki? Um, <laughs> And how did it help you? Reiki. So I will just to validate with what you were saying. I also was raised, um, my family was Catholic, but I was sent to a Baptist school. So I was raised in school with very fire and brimstone, read your Bible, pray every day. And it was very hard for me to dip into some of this woo-woo stuff. But I've become more and more comfortable with it. And one of the things that I decided to do was to become a Reiki master because Reiki was one of the things that helped me through my burnout recovery journey. Mm -hmm. And Reiki is an energy healing. So basically what Reiki does is it's not my energy or your energy that I'm pulling from or that a Reiki master is pulling from when they do Reiki. What it is, is we tap into the universal Reiki kind of energy and that energy comes through me into the person or client that I'm doing Reiki on and will help me feel where there might be disease in their body and help move the stagnant energy throughout and flow, get everything flowing better. If you've never had Reiki um, in person, it's almost like a massage. You would lay down on a table fully clothed and I would hover my hands above different areas of your body to get the energy readings and see what needed to be done. Um, some people even do it remote. I've done it remote for, for some of my friends and it's, I just have them lay quietly in their room for like 30 minutes while I go through the process, just like I would, if they were here, I either use a crystal grid or a picture or something like that to connect to them and do the energy healing that way. Hmm. Yeah. And so I have started practicing Reiki and I'm actually, um, congratulations. My, thank you. Thank you. I, I've done my level one and level two training and I'm almost to okay. Reiki master. And so one of the things that was really helpful for me, my Reiki teacher, um, she calls it connecting to the light and love of God. 
And I like that. And so, you know, a lot of times the word energy can feel really ethereal. Um, yeah. But if you do believe in, in God and, you mm -hmm. know, you've been brought up in it from a church background or whatever, um, connecting yourself to the love of God feels a lot more accessible than just tapping yes. into the universal energy. And it's okay that you phrased it that way. And some people will resonate more yeah. with that. But I just wanted to share my perspective as well is basically like for me, it was tapping into the love of God and sharing the love of God with another person. If you're the Reiki practitioner, that's what you're doing. You're connecting yourself to the love of God and you're basically mm -hmm. becoming kind of like, um, like a vessel or like exactly. a, a tool for a God, conduit. a conduit. Yes, exactly. For the love of God. And so it was relatable to me because I grew up, um, in kind of like a more charismatic church. And so one of the things okay. that we would do is actually when somebody needed healing, like physical healing, we would say, yeah. come on down to the altar and we're going to put our hands on you. and We're going to pray for you. And so when I learned about Reiki, I was like, this is like that, you know, to me. And, and honestly, I'll share my experience too, is it felt just like that. Like when, if you've ever, you know, if you're a Christian and you, you've ever had somebody lay their hands on you and pray for you and that feeling that you get, it's like a spiritual, it's a very spiritual feeling. It's a very, it's almost like a heaviness. Um, it's not the heaviness of the person's actual hands on you. It's like a heaviness of like, you feel right. the presence of God. And the first time that I experienced Reiki, it was just like that. You guys, like, it felt like being like at the altar call. If you guys are resonating with these, with this language, like, that's, That's what it felt like. And I was like, it's the same feeling. It's the same spirit. It's, it's, it's God. It's the love of God. And so this was another way for me to experience healing. Um, and I felt yes. uh, pretty comfortable with it. At first, I was super freaked out. It took me like a year before I would actually like go to this place that I was like looking at <laughs> online. I was so scared, you guys. But I finally did it. And I was so blown away by how beautiful the experience was. And I, and I kept going. And, and one of the things that I found pretty helpful to talk about was trauma, um, where I didn't actually mm -hmm. feel as safe talking about trauma um, in like a religious church background. The reason right. for that, interestingly, um, and I don't want to make this more about me, I want to get back to you. But the, the interesting thing for me was where I felt more comfortable with it is this idea of forgiveness. And so a lot of times forgiveness um, in like a church um, background feels mandatory. It feels obligatory and it feels like you better get to it. Like forgive right. me, you know? And right. so I loved this, taking this idea to create some space for like, but what about um, what this has done to me in my body, mind, spirit, and soul and clearing that out has to happen before you can actually get to forgiveness. Um, because I'm still exactly. carrying that with me. Like it's affecting me. It's affecting um, my nervous system. It's affecting um, you know, we talk about the chakras, right. With, with energy, right. healing. but like, for example, you know, if you have stuck energy, like maybe you were in like an oppressive environment as a child, maybe somebody, you know, you weren't allowed to speak up for yourself as a child. And so we'll, we'll talk about, oh, you have stuck energy in the throat chakra. And so you, you need to clear that out. Um, but again, this is probably sounding like so crazy to people, but like, how do you know you're the Reiki practitioner? How do you mm -hmm. know when somebody has stuck energy in a certain area of their body? Well, I think it's different for every Reiki master based on the ones that I've talked to. Um, for me personally, I get a, I usually just get a message in my head to hover over that part of the body a little bit longer. 
And it doesn't necessarily tell me why, but it will just tell me to stay there. Mm -hmm. And I will do that and follow the messages that I get from there, whether it tells me to stay or to move on. I think that's one way. Um, Another way for me doesn't happen for everybody, but it does happen for some people is my hands will start to get warm and tingly. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's how I know there's something going on in that area. And that's an area that I need to stay with. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. And so, um, it it kind of is this area of believing that like, well, we have some senses beyond just our five senses, you know, like we have, um, spiritual senses that we can kind of, um, get these spiritual hits or these intuitive hits. Um, and maybe we might've felt them at different points in our life that we're just kind of like, what was that? That's, that was a little bit crazy. Um, but for me, this was not a far leap for me because again, growing up in the, in the charismatic background that I did, we actually were taught about um, gifts of the spirit is what it was called. And so this is spoken about in the Bible, um, particularly in, in, um, you know, Romans and Corinthians, if anybody's listening Mm -hmm. and like, so I kind of want to draw this parallel because it might open your mind a little bit. Um, But when I was growing up in church, I believed that God would give, certain people, what we would call a word of knowledge, like that the Holy Spirit would just kind of give somebody something like they would never know this about you, but all of a sudden they know it. And then they bring it up to you. And then if you're the receiver of that, you're like, whoa, like that kind of like takes you by surprise. And you're like, how did this person know that? But it's evidence of God's love because God cares enough about you that, that he knew that you weren't necessarily going to bring this up on your own. Maybe like it wasn't even (laughs) conscious for you, but God loves you so much that, that he or she has shared this message with this other person to bring it to your attention so that it can heal. And so I grew up in in the church believing that this was possible. And so it wasn't a far leap for me to kind of draw that parallel and be like, okay, this makes a little bit of sense. Like God is speaking to this person. Maybe you as the Reiki master, God is speaking to you and like showing you a picture in your mind or, Um, maybe it's auditory for some people, or maybe it's just like a physical sensation for other people. Um, but it's pretty cool. Like, and that's how I look at it. It I look at it as like, just a sign of God's love. God loves you so, so much that here is this situation in which he's bringing it to the the attention of another person so that it can come to your attention so that it can heal so that you can be free. Yeah. I love, I love that way of looking at it. And I think I actually had a friend that pursued Reiki all the way through Reiki master and had been doing it for a while. And she was also raised in a religious household and she fell in love with Reiki, really saw benefits from it, practiced for a couple of years. And after a while, she just couldn't get it aligned with her religious background and she quit and gave up everything. And to me, I feel like God is certainly part of, of helping me to channel and helping me to know where to go. It's certainly not coming from me. It's coming from God, a higher power, universe, source, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. It's, it's by no way, shape or form me. It is universe being information being passed down so that I can help other people. And I think that's what God truly wants us to do Mm -hmm. is to help others when we can. So if he's going to give me extra ways to do that, I'm more than willing to accept them. Yeah. Yeah. So for anybody listening that is just like, this is not for me. That's cool. You know, that that's <laughs> totally cool. You don't have to do that in order to heal from burnout. It's just, you do one, not. it's just one tool, but, and if it's something that you're curious about, um, you know, connect with Kristen. Um, so tell us a little bit about, um, breath work 
and tapping. What are these things? Breathwork and tapping are both more advanced techniques that I learned to use probably two or three years into my journey from recovering from burnout when I felt more confident with myself, when I felt more of more authentically aligned. Um, I started working with a coach that did breath work. And if you've never done breath work, it's amazing. It's intense. It is, it is like a reset button. Mm -hmm. It is, um, it is not for the faint hearted, the type of breath work that I have done in my past. There are different kinds of breath work that you can do. And some of them are much easier. I have done the ones where you lay on the floor and you experience with different kind of breathing for close to half an hour. And then you go into a different form of breathing and you do the primal scream to release. And it's a very, very (laughs) intense progress that you leave feeling very enlightened. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely something that if you're, if you're at a stage where you're ready for that, it's definitely something that I would recommend and definitely something that I recommend to my clients. Um, There's lighter forms of breath work that I'm not as familiar with, but that I've also heard work very well. Mm -hmm. So that's one option that you can do. Tapping. um, I feel like a lot of people have heard of tapping now, but tapping is just you go through the points and you repeat certain things. And it's, I have an app that I use for it, the Tapping Solution app by Nick Ortner, who Mm -hmm. is, love that one, who, you know, I think is the god of all tapping and just has the greatest resources for it. So I do a lot of his tapping videos when I need a, more of a quick burst. Mm -hmm. When I've got that energy and I don't have time to do Reiki and I'm just nervous about something or I'm anxious about something and I need to settle down, I will go through and do all the tapping points. And I think those are two really good tools once you get farther along in your journey. Yeah. Yeah. I've used both breath work and tapping. I've never done the breath work that you're talking about, which is sort of, um, but as I understand it, that type of breath work, like the benefit of it is that it, it kind of changes your state of consciousness. Um, It takes you into like a meditative state or almost like a hypnotic state. Um, And so that might freak people out a little bit, but there are forms of breath work that don't do that. It's almost like yeah. a guided meditation. And so you can oh, yeah. um, download an app for breath work. There's a lot of great ones. Um, and somebody, and there's nothing spiritual about it, you guys. So if you, if you feel like, oh, this is not aligned for me with my spiritual beliefs, it's actually, it, it's, um, there's nothing to it. It's just, um, they'll tell you, you know, breathe in for four, you know, hold mm-hmm. for seven, breathe out for eight. And so something like that is just it's helping your nervous system to calm down. It's helping a physiological reaction to to happen in your body so that you can actually calm down and allow yourself to switch from being super stressed out into actually being calm. And and the tapping kind of does the same thing. And, you know, it it says that you're tapping on different energy points in the body or meridian points in the body. And so this is linked to like Chinese medicine. However, um, there's, you know, Western medicine is now catching up with this. And we're saying, Finally. okay, um, you know, one of the biggest benefits to this is what's called bilateral stimulation. And so it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, the right side of the brain is connected to the left side of the body and, and you know, vice versa, right? And so right. when we actually stimulate um, both sides of the body, it allows mm-hmm. the two sides of our brain to connect better with each other. And so for people that have... Um, you know, experience trauma and are struggling with PTSD, they do a treatment called EDMR or 
um, rapid right. eye movement desensitization. And so what they're doing with that is they're putting light, you know, to different sides of the body. And that is bilateral stimulation. And so it's allowing those things to converge and it creates more of a relaxation and it creates this space for you to be able to heal in your brain. Yeah. And it's really kind of beautiful. And so tapping is doing that. So even if you don't believe in energy centers or Chinese medicine right. meridian points or whatever, there is a Western scientific explanation for this. And with the tapping solution, um, it also is kind of like a guided meditation. There's nothing spiritual about it whatsoever. Exactly. Just, but one of the beautiful things about it is it's kind of like practicing um, an affirmation while you're um, calming your body down. And so while you're in that right. state while, where you're feeling calm and you're um, stimulating both sides of the brain, it creates this beautiful opportunity to kind of rewire your brain when it, when it, yeah. it's like a fertile ground for rewiring your brain. And so it'll say something like, even though I feel so stressed out right now, I unconditionally love and accept myself. Um, and that's all you're saying while you're doing it, but it really does. It has this powerful effect and they, and here's science people, they actually get the tapping <laughs> solution because they'll share with you the science on it as well. They can test your yes. cortisol levels in your saliva and cortisol is your stress hormone. And so they will test right. people's cortisol level through their saliva before tapping for 10 minutes and then after tapping for 10 minutes and it goes down by like 40%. And so there's that actual not data surprise me at all. Yeah. It's pretty cool. All right. Yeah. Well, tapping. I think like you said, it's not woo woo. It's not yeah. spiritual. It's the closest thing you can compare it to is a guided meditation. Mm -hmm. I know that some people that I've talked to actually don't like tapping because of the first negative statement that you start with, yeah. which is always the problem that you're tapping on. So it might be even though I forgot to get groceries for my family this week, I love and accept myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know a lot of people, it makes them feel bad to repeat that, but we're not hammering the bad things into your head. We're not making that the, the star of the show. What we're actually doing is just accepting that into our body and letting it go into our body and practicing that self-compassion to know, even though I'm not perfect or exactly where I want to be, it's okay. I love and accept myself. And then you continue walking through the tapping with ways that can help you get more comfortable in that. But I think it's important for anybody that might be scared by the first negative statement. That mm -hmm. is not what you're focusing on. That is not mm -hmm. the whole tapping. Give it a try. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I say, give it a try too. Um, give all of these <laughs> things a try. Don't be afraid people. Exactly. There's only, if it doesn't work for you, you're not hurting yourself. So there's only the ability right. to, to help yourself through some of these things. So, um, right. So I want to uh, switch the conversation direction oh. to talking about how nutrition has been a yeah. part of your healing journey. And if you could tell us a little bit about that, and I know you mentioned some different health um, diagnoses that you have, but also share, how did you find me as your coach? What <laughs> kind of drew you in? And how was that a part of your healing journey? That was a big part of my healing journey because my food healing journey lasted long beyond my burnout recovery journey. And it started long before that. And it's, people are probably going to laugh at the way I found you, but I was on LinkedIn and looking for a keto coach specifically because I was trying to use keto to help control my type two diabetes. Mm -hmm. And I saw you as the self-care keto coach. And I don't even, I don't even know if I just paid you immediately or if I even <laughs> scheduled a call with you. <laughs> we had a call. We had a call. Yeah. <laughs> But I was like, self-care, this is, this is what I'm talking about. I've studied nutrition. I know nutrition. I know what I should be eating. I need to make 
eating right and nutrition a part of my self-care because if I love myself enough to take care of myself, then I need to love myself enough to be putting the right foods in my body that are right for my body. Mm-hmm. And so seeing the self-care and then when you and I connected and I, and I learned that you really were focused on, not to say that you're not focused on nutrition, but that you really were focused on self-care and we did different exercises that I haven't done with any other nutritional coaches that I've worked with that really helped me see my strengths and see how I could tie them into my weight loss journey, which was something I hadn't done before. And probably part of the reason why I had been floundering, but really it was, it was the self-care aspect of it. Self-care was so important to me and learning how to make food, something that was self-care for me was really important. Yeah, definitely. And so, you know, for you, Um, I don't know if you'd like to share, but while we were working together, you learned some new things about your health and we, we basically made some pivots together. So tell us us a little bit more about that. (laughs) Do I win the most challenging client? (laughs) (laughs) No, not at all. So when we were working together, I was doing pretty well on keto, finally getting myself together. And I was diagnosed with H. pylori, which is a bad bacteria in the gut, as well as candida in the gut and other bad bacteria. So I had to totally change my eating protocol and start taking supplements and medications to try to kill all these bad bacteria, which meant that I couldn't eat a lot of the keto foods that I was eating. And I had to change, do a quick, quick pivot to try to change and keep the foods as healthy and whole as possible and still fit them in with what I was allowed to eat on my protocol for my diet. And I have to say, you were great at pivoting from, I think Monday we were doing keto and Tuesday, I think I messaged you and said, I have H. pylori, I have this, I have that. And we need to totally tweak my diet. And you helped me figure out what I could still eat and kind of what was worth adding back in because there were some non-keto things that I did add back in just because there weren't enough foods that I liked that I could eat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that was, it was so great to have that support. And I wasn't sure how it would go with you being keto focused, but you know, you were fabulous with helping me find the other foods that I could eat and try to stay as close to keto as possible while still getting in the other foods that I needed to heal my stomach. And I'm happy yeah. to say that I've completed around the medicine and it is getting much, much better. That's so awesome. Yeah. And so yeah. That actually happens to me with, with several clients, um, where that's good to know, (laughs) we learn something new about them. You know, now I'm, uh, I think I have a dairy intolerance and previously we were relying really heavily on dairy as part of, you know, the ketogenic, um, you know, plan, or I have a specific food allergy. I can't eat eggs. Like, Oh dang, like we need to, (laughs) we've been eating eggs, you know, (laughs) left and right with, with keto, you know? So like, I am not dogmatic about keto at all. Ketosis is a great tool to help you um, recover um, from certain things, right? And so, Mm -hmm. but it's about practicing self-care through your nutrition. And so if you learn something new about yourself, it's okay to change your mind. It's okay to make a pivot. It's okay to bring back in foods that previously you told yourself were not allowed. Um, That's all part of the healing journey. And um, I actually really kind of enjoy when something like that happens with my clients because I'm like, ooh, you know, a fresh challenge. Like, let's do this. It's kind of, <laughs> it's kind of fun for me to go outside the typical realm of, you know, strict keto with people. I still right. fully believe in it. Um, and I believe that right. it's a great tool for most people, at least temporarily. Um, but yeah. it's the most important thing is 
how do you feel when you eat this way? You, again, it's talking about like not surrendering your life to somebody else. Like don't surrender to the external quote unquote keto rules and just think that you have to power through or white knuckle it. Like even if you're not feeling good, like it's about tuning in to your inner um, knowing. And like a lot of times that is a physical manifestation of like, no, it's, we think that these things are normal, but just because they're common, they're not normal. It's not normal to feel bloated every day. It's not normal for your stomach to be in pain. It's not normal for you to be having migraines every day. It's not normal for you to have acne. It's not, these things are not actually normal. It's not normal for you to have, um, you know, um, an irregular menstrual cycle. So, but we just kind of tell ourselves, oh, but a lot of people have this. It like, happens to everybody. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> common. And even your doctor will be like, it's not that big of a deal. It's not something really that you should be worried about. But you're like, but I am worried about it. Like, you know, <laughs> Absolutely. So that's what the journey of self care through nutrition is, is really all about. Um, so yeah. would you say that there was anything surprising to you about our work together? And what were some of like your main takeaways? I think the most surprising was how quickly you were able to adapt from keto. Like you said, we were using a lot of dairy. We were using eggs. Those were things that I had to cut out. I think I just expected to have, not that you ever acted as a drill sergeant, but I thought, oh no, like she's only keto. She's going to be like, no, you have to eat keto and this is all I can help you with. So I was really surprised at how quickly you were able to pivot. And I think like the day I told you, you sent me articles on leaky gut syndrome. You sent me articles on H. pylori. And I was like, okay, like she's, she's really in this to help people. She's not just one of those people that's preaching the keto lifestyle. She's really, really knowledgeable in food and, and the body. And she's really wanting to help people and meet them where they're at, even if that's not perfect keto right now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And you also mentioned like the, the exercises that we did together. Did that surprise you? Yeah. But, yeah. Those surprised me. Like I said, I had never done those with a nutrition coach before. I had done them with like an ADHD coach. I had done one of them and I had done one of them with another coach, but it was interesting to tie them into the world of nutrition. And it really, I think one of the things I really learned with working together was that I was big on comfort food. Yeah. But the food that I was giving my body wasn't comfort food for me. It just felt like comfort food. Comfort food wouldn't be tearing up my stomach and ruining my digestion and causing breakouts and doing all that. Comfort food would be what was really nurturing to my body. And that's what I learned to start reaching for. Yeah, that's beautiful. That and read the label. (laughs) Yes, it's true. It's true because the ingredients in a food, you know, could be causing inflammation in the body if you're not feeling good and things like that. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I hope it's okay to share um, one of the things that that I remember about our work together, yeah, which is that um, you you have a certain personality type, um, and and we were we were going through these. Um, it's called the four tendencies. If you, if anybody wants to look this up by Gretchen Rubin, but this is one of the assessments that I do with my clients, and it's all about how you are uniquely motivated. And so um, Kristen is in the category of a rebel. And so, um, shocker, shocker. <laughs> and I actually love working with my rebel clients because, um, you know, the, the joke is that they're not motivated by external, um, right. external expectations, nor are they motivated by their own internal expectations. And so it, it seems like a challenge. It's like, well, how do we motivate this person? <laughs> but rebels, rebels are very motivated by, um, freedom and autonomy. They want to be able to do what they want to do in any given moment. And so a lot of the strategies that would commonly work for people, like create a meal plan, prep ahead of time, 
um, have external accountability with somebody where they're looking at your log every day, yada, yada, yada. Like these are strategies that would not work for Kristen. And so these are common strategies no. that, that a coach would use, you know, a, like a common strategy with a nutrition coaches, yeah. they're going to tell you like, write down what you eat every day. And I want to look at it every day. Well, I ask you, like, I ask my clients, like, how does that feel for you? Does that feel triggering? Does yeah. that feel limiting? You know, we don't have to do that if you don't want to, it, it helps me to give you more feedback. But actually, if you hate that, then we don't want to make that a part of what you're doing. Um, and so for you, that would, that would feel like so trapping, you know, like, <laughs> or the meal that planning. That was very like, triggering for me. Yeah. Yes. And like another common tactic that coaches would use, which motivates a lot of people, but not certain types of people is like, plan out everything, you have to have it all prepped ahead of time, do your weekly prep, and then you've got everything that you're going to eat for the whole week. Well, for rebels, that feels so constricting. And that feels like, oh, I don't want to eat what I said I was going to eat two days ago. I want to eat what I want to eat right now, you know? So, <laughs> exactly. So we, you know, come up with a different strategy for people like, like that and try to do like ingredient prep. And that way you have like a bunch of different stuff. Like you've got all of these veggies cut up already. You've got like chicken prepared, steak prepared. It's very minimally seasoned so that you can turn it into whatever you want to turn it into. And you still feel the freedom. It's like, well, I do have the ability to throw something together quickly, but I can also just do whatever sounds good today. Exactly. That was what really helped most for me. I mean, I've tried meal planning. I've tried Jenny Craig, where it's all done for you. I've tried Weight Watchers, where you count the points and, you know, that makes it a little bit more flexible. You're not meal planning, but they're all so very restrictive for a rebel. For yeah. me, I found the key was just keeping the foods that I liked and I knew I would eat stuff in the fridge and the fridge and refrigerator in the pantry and just knowing I could grab whatever I was in the mood for at that time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so if you're somebody that's listening right now and you've got these preconceptions about what it would be like to work with a coach, I just want to let you know, like, no, it's literally about tapping into how you are already wired, how, um, and celebrating that and working together with that and trying to fit you instead of trying to fit you into the box of what I need a client to do to be successful. So yeah. I'm really here to support you. And Kristen is a coach too, who really has that philosophy of like, she's here to support you in the journey that's going to work for you. And you know, if you have been listening to this and you're like, yes, I am definitely struggling with burnout. I want that alignment. I want that inner peace. Um, I'm curious about some of these woo woo things. Like, like <laughs> I'm into it. Um, so the last thing that we're going to do, we're going to tell you how you can work together with Kristen before we end here. But I have asked Kristen if she would be willing to do what's called an Oracle card reading for us. And so just real quick before we do it, would you tell us what is an Oracle card reading? What are we doing here? I will. So for those of you who are familiar with tarot cards, Oracle cards are similar, but not the same to tarot cards, where tarot cards all have the exact same suit and the same things. Oracle cards are more messages, if you would would be a good way to say it. I think it's not just the suit and then that. So I haven't pulled my deck for you yet. Okay. I thought that I would actually pull, given the theme of the podcast, my sacred self-care card. Yeah, and whatever give us you want all to do. self-care task to do for today. So okay. let me grab my card and I will be right back with you. Okay. Sounds great. So while Kristen is grabbing that, you guys, I want to let you know about, um, she mentioned that morning routine that we were talking about earlier. Kristen has a fantastic freebie over on her website, kristenhodnet.com. And so it's a totally free resource, you guys, if you want to snatch that up so that you can create a morning routine. 
it is just go to kristenhamnet.com and it's right there on my homepage. Like she said, it's totally free and it is my 30 minute or less morning routine. You can call it whatever you want. If we don't want to call it a morning routine, call it our sacred morning activation, our sacred morning ritual, but mm -hmm. you can hop on my webpage and grab it. I think it's less than 10 pages, so it won't take you very long to read it all. So I've got my uh, sacred self-care deck here. I'm going to shuffle it up and just pick a card for the audience. And whatever it is, I want you guys to go do it today. <laughs> Sounds good. I accept the challenge. All right. Everybody who's ready to accept the challenge. Let's see what we're doing today. We are chanting today. Ooh. <laughs> chanting might be a difficult one for everybody. It might be. But... It might be. Okay. I don't think I've but... ever chanted before. <laughs> I actually do not chant frequently, so I cannot give you any chance to use, but I will turn to the book for this one and see what it has to tell us about chanting, and, and maybe we can get Jess to chant for us once before we Oh, boy. Disconnect. I don't know about that. I'm not, I'm more of an introvert. <laughs> I might want to practice this in private before <laughs> going live. With well, it. I'll tell you what I'll do. So this you can't see it here, but these are the chants you can do for the different chakras. So I will go on my Instagram and I will post the different chants for the chakras. And if you get a chance, you can go on my Instagram and practice chanting. That sounds great. Can you give us like one? Like, what does it sound like? Sure. I'll give you like one. So, um, is one that we're all very familiar with. Oh, like, um, yeah. Okay. Yep, exactly. So you're just going to do that. And you see that this is a self-care thing that most of us probably don't think about right off the top of our heads and most of us are probably aren't familiar with. So that's why I love this deck. It gives me a chance to learn how to do new things. And of course, of course it pulled a card today that surprised me, but, yes. Yes. <laughs> but it's fun to learn to do the different new things on here. It is. And this probably sounds like the woo-woo-wist of all things that we could possibly try it today. Probably, but you guys, probably if, is. if you're like, that's weird, I'm not doing that. Let me give you a scientific explanation for actually how this physically can help you calm down. So it's called vagus nerve stimulation. And so there's a nerve that runs all the way through the center of your body. And it, and it, um, you know, it's at the back of your brain stem and it goes all the way down to um, basically like your hip, your hip bone, your coccyx. Um, and so it's a nerve that runs all the way down your backbone. And so this is called the vagus nerve. And this nerve is um, basically fundamental in you being in either a sympathetic state, which is, um, your stressed out state, basically, you are in fight or flight, fawn or freeze mode, or it helps you switch over into your rest and digest state or your parasympathetic state. So the vagus nerve is the nerve that dictates an, one of those two states. And so when you're stressed out, which is very common with burnout, you are in a sympathetic state. And there are lots of different modalities of how you can physically switch states into that rest and digest mode. And so eating is one of them. That's why a lot of times, think about it, it's called rest and digest. And so eating actually helps you switch states. If you struggle with emotional eating, it's not because you're weak-willed or, you know, you have some type of mental disorder. It's just because it works. Like, <laughs> it helps you switch states. And so meditating helps you switch states. Changing your breath helps you switch states. Um, you know, tapping can help you switch states. And vagus nerve stimulation can help you switch states. And so chanting is a way that you stimulate the vagus nerve right here in your throat. It's, you could also be gargling. It could be laughing. It could be singing. But it's causing that vibration inside of your throat that stimulates your vagus nerve. So there actually is a scientific explanation for why you should all go try chanting today. And I will do it. I will do it. <laughs> 
And if you don't want to try chanting, at least try the singing or the laughing. Yes, totally. Using that, using that throat area and using your voice is very important. Yes, absolutely. Okay, Kristen, if people are intrigued and they are interested in working together with you, tell us how can people um, connect with you on social media? Um, how can they learn more about your coaching services? Share with us. You can go to kristenhomnet.com and learn all about my coaching services there and also the full Oracle card readings that I do. And if you want to find me on social media, uh, the best place is probably Instagram at Kristen Hodnett Coaching. Okay, that's awesome. You guys, thank you so much for tuning in. If you want to connect with Kristen, if you have any like specific questions about some of the stuff that we've been talking about, hit her up on Instagram. You can also Please you reach know, out. I'm looking at her site right now, you guys. She does a free session. Like, how do you get a free session with a coach? Go to Kristen's website and just sign up for <laughs> it's called a free alignment session. And yeah, why would you not do that, you guys? So <laughs> make sure that you check her out. She's fantastic to talk to. Love her so much. Thank you, Kristen, for joining us Thank today. Thank you so much for having me, Jess. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, everybody. Have a fantastic rest of your week. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye.